Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to this edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, my guest is Brant Hansen. He's got a new book out called Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance, Experiencing Real Joy in a World Gone Mad. You know, I've had Brant on the program, uh, oh, I don't know, a couple of times before over the last few years, and uh, he's been a friend to Ministry Watch. He's helped us with some stories. Brand is one of those guys that's just kind of wired. He's connected. And if I need help with a story, uh, I can call Brand, and sometimes he'll give me a contact or give me a thought or an idea. Uh, he's somebody that's not really in the Ministry Watch uh, space in terms of what he does. He's a radio talk show host. He has a, a nationally syndicated uh, program. The Brandt and Sherry Oddcast. So it's not like he's reporting on the stuff that Ministry Watch reports on every day, but he's passionate about this stuff. He's passionate about the peace and purity of the church, and um, he just likes what we do, and we like what he does, and that's why I'm real pleased to have him on the program. Brant um, works in his day job, I guess you could say. I don't know which is his day job, whether the podcast and the radio program or Cure International, but he's a, a chief storyteller for Cure International, which is a worldwide network of hospitals that uh, provide medical care all around the world. He lives in South Florida with his wife, Carolyn, and uh, yeah, so we had this conversation via Zoom to talk just about all kinds of things, but mostly about his book, Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance. Here's Brand Hansen. Well, Brant, thank you for being on the program once again. I remember our conversation uh, from your last book, I think, with Blessed Are the Misfits. Is that right? Is that the one we talked about? Well, the last book I wrote was called The Men We Need, but that Blessed Are the Misfits is one of the books I wrote, so maybe we talked about that. Yeah, I think I I don't know. I don't remember. I think I think it was that book that we talked about. I think I must have missed the one in between then. Yeah. Well, why did you miss that? I'm now see <laughs> cuz I'm a bad bad man. That's why, I guess, right? <laughs> I heap I heap judgment and scorn upon you. <laughs> That's right. As well, you should. Uh, but but here we are again. Uh, this you know, despite what we have missed in the past, um, and we're talking about your new book, which I really enjoyed. Life is hard. God is good. Let's dance. This is a book about joy, and I'd like to you know kind of jump in right there. Why why a book about joy? Why now? Nobody's got it. Seems like. And that includes believers. Like, there's no, there's no excuse for us not to have it, honestly. But it's almost like our culture is so pervasive with its news and its doom and its information that you, you are made to feel crazy if you're the one who's not anxious. You're the one who's, you're not upset. Like, you're supposed to be. What's the matter with you? And you, maybe in the back of your mind, you might be thinking, well, maybe I'm just out of it or naive. That's not true as a general rule. And what I'm trying to say is this, this thing where we can have a pervasive sense of well-being, regardless of circumstances, is available for believers. And we're supposed to have it. It's so much so that people should ask us, the re like, why are you so hopeful? The reason for our hope. Like, so I, I want people to know it's not a lack of information that leads you to this. You don't have to have, have blinders on where you have no clue what's going on in the world to be at peace. It's, it's more information. It's knowing about the kingdom of God 
and bearing that at the forefront of your mind all the time. But you have to practice that. But you can. This is something you can be. You can be lighthearted and joyful and fully aware of what's going on in the world. Well, uh, I get that, and I um, really deeply resonate with that message, what you just said, and also the message in your book. Uh, and of course, coming from you, Brant, who described yourself very early in the bi- book as a a misfit and a pessimist. I mean, what better person to write a book about joy than a totally. misfit and a pessimist, right? <laughs> right. No, I. That's a fact. I'm a. I'm an extreme skeptic, and I. I think. I'm so skeptical. It chased me back around to belief in Jesus because he's the only one that makes any sense about human nature to me. But when you when you see that, um, and, and somebody who's not prone, to, I'm not happy slappy by nature. Um, so. The fact that I do have a sense of peace and a sense of well-being, regardless of circumstances, and I do have a lighter heart, and I'm more childlike than I used to be. Like, all that stuff, that's not explicable otherwise. So I do think it's it's interesting to have somebody like me write it versus somebody who's like this natural glass half full guy, because right. I'm, I'm not that. Right. You're not Joel Osteen, right? <laughs> Well, I'd like to be a little bit Joel Steen in the financial area. Then I could support <laughs> Cure even more. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, you know, it is, uh, you know, just to sort of traffic on or, or advance a little bit more what you said, or at least to think, ruminate about it. Um, you know, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, and peace. You know, we, we you know, speaking of Joel Osteen, uh, we, you know, we tend to measure success for the Christian life as, you know, butts in, you know, pews and money in the collection plate and bigger platforms and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and I mean, the way God measures is just like completely different. And it sounds to me, at least in part, what you're doing with this book is telling us gently, lovingly that, Hey, dude, you're measuring the wrong things. You need to be looking to love, joy, and peace is the way you measure maturity in the Christian life. Yeah, the fruit. I I love what Dallas Willard said about that. He's like, don't if you if you're measuring growth of a congregation, you should marry. It should actually measure the weight. Like, are you growing in fruit of the spirit? Can you weigh that? Um, so I totally agree with that. Here's the thing. Like you said, let's get as many people as possible here. That's what success is. If you have this huge platform, that's success. That's a whole lot of pressure. That's not a way to live a peaceful life. That's a way to wind up jealous upset that things aren't going your way. It's never going to be big enough anyway. It's always the next deal, the next thing, the next big vision that you have. That's a lot of pressure. If you want to live a life of childlike, not childish, but childlike peace and trust, you don't think about that stuff. So even even in my field, so I, I, I wanted to make this clear like in, in my book, I don't have a plan. So I, I do have a platform, but but God can take it away or give me more. That's up to him. My thing is, I just try to be faithful with whatever comes comes across my path today. That's it. No big vision, no big leadership, blah, blah, blah. He's the leader. And I ask him, would you please make a way for me? You know better than I do. And he's done that. So that's what's really weird in my own career when people are like, well, you've, you've done this or that, or things that look good on bullet points on a resume or whatever. Like, yeah, but you know what? I didn't plan any of that. And I didn't actually chafe to make that happen. I'm just trying to be be faithful with this person in front of me. And that's some a way anyone can live. And it's a much more peaceful way to live. It's just his way of of saying, I'll take, I'll make your path. You just 
commit your works to me, like the things you're doing right today. Ask for your daily bread, your resources for today. So I ask God, please give me energy because I'm an introvert. That's my resource for today. I need energy. I need content for my show. That's going to be a blessing to people. This is a much more peaceful way to live because it's now you're just doing your faithfulness every day. Yeah, yeah. Brand, I want to uh, drill down into some of the ideas that really jumped out at me in your book, some of the turns of phrases and some of the anecdotes and stories that you told, If and just ask you to say more about that. One, one of them is this idea of uh, a second naivete. In other words, you, you, you've already brought up the idea of being naive, that, that pursuing joy, pursuing love, joy, and peace in our lives is not naive. Um, it is what God calls us to. Yeah. Um, but it does require kind of, I mean, you, you've, you've, you do have to understand the brokenness of the world to get through to that second naivete. Absolutely. So say more about that idea. Where did it come from? Where well, did that expression come from? That's, that's from a French philosopher whom I haven't read, but it sounds cool if I name drop French philosophers. It's Paul Ricoeur is his name. <laughs> but he talked about a second naivete that exists at the far side of complexity. So I liken it to this. If somebody asked me, like, what, what's your big philosophy on life? And I said, I, th I think I can trust God. I think he's good. They might think, well, that's just too simple. That's too childish. Like, what? But, you know, and they might think, you haven't thought through the big issues. Yes, I have, but you don't know. Like, you haven't been exposed to the world. I've actually traveled the world many, 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 many times and seen all sorts of stuff that would boggle your mind. I'm not saying this from a point of naivete in the sense that I don't know. But it's like, it's like Karl Barth when he talked about, you know, somebody asked him at the end of his career, and, you know, how would you sum up everything? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. It's like you, you go through all these complex questions. You can think through things, but in the end, you, you can sum it up with this thing that to other people looks naive. When Paul was on this boat, and I mentioned this in Acts, Paul's on this boat. It's going down. Everybody knows it's going to, to wreck in this storm. There's like 256 people on there. I can't remember the exact number. He's saying, oh, I'm fine. Everybody else is freaking out, and he's not. Now, from their perspective, he's an idiot. He should be freaking out. Don't you understand the reality? Well, God had told him that the ship is going to wreck, but everybody was going to survive and be okay. So he was like, not worried. So it, it's not because he knew less. It's because he knew more that he was able to be at peace. Everybody else is freaking out thinking he's crazy. So they think he doesn't know, but there's, a, there's that peace that comes from knowing more. It looks naive from the outside, but it's not at all. It's this, no, it's this knowing, trusting thing that I, I know enough about God's character, I can actually trust him. I don't have all the answers, but I, I, I can trust him. You know, uh, you didn't mention uh, this little story in the in the book, Brand, but I, I'm a fan of the movie Bridge of Spies by, that has Tom Hanks, and I don't know if you know that movie or not. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. But there's, uh, um, you know, uh, Tom Hanks defends a Russian spy, essentially, and and uh, from time to time throughout the movie, Tom Hanks asks the Russian spy, you know, you, you're, stand, you're, you're about to go on trial for a capital crime. You could get the death penalty for that. Aren't you worried? And the Russian spy says, would it help? And of course, the answer to that is no. It it wouldn't it help. Actually, help. Uh, you know, it's a. I think it's a pretty great line, even though it's put in the mouth of the yeah. Russian spy. And, yeah. and uh, you that's, know, that's probably the bad guy in the movie. But I still, I still, I, that that line really resonated with me. And I and I thought of that line actually, Brandon. I want you to say more about this because you you know 
worry is the great um, thief of joy. And you have a con- you mentioned another concept in in this book that 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 really um, hit me hard, and that is this notion of outsourcing your worry. Yeah. Uh, say more about that. Yeah. So the weird thing about worry, and I hear this or I read this from psychologists and whatnot, is it, there's there's a control thing going on there. Like we think that if we worry about something, we're actually controlling something, and it's very strange. Like. You can liken it to what people do when they go bowling. Like they release the ball and then start doing body language, like leaning over, like they want the ball to go left or right. It's like, dude, the ball is gone. Let it go. Like you're not actually affecting anything by leaning this way or that, gesticulating. The ball is gone. But we have this sense of control about it. So this came up. I was listening to Tim Ferriss's book. He he wrote a book called The Four-Hour Workweek, and it's okay, but I don't, I didn't finish it, but he said something I thought was great. He talked about how he was really worried about something. And so he has a personal assistant do everything for him in India. She schedules his dental appointments and everything. But as a joke, he, he actually told her on the to-do for today. She's like, hey, I need you to worry about something for me. And she laughed. She's like, okay. And she, but she she did it. She's like, okay, I'll worry about that for you today. And his thing was... The weird thing was that worked. It actually worked thinking someone else was out there worrying for me. And I thought, there's language, Old Testament and New, about us casting our cares, our anxieties on God. Cast them on him, throw them to him. He actually can do something about it. So there's this sense of efficacy that comes from like talking to somebody who can do something, but not just a personal assistant in India. But it's like, he can actually do something with your cares and anxieties. But to say, I'm going to outsource this. I can't do anything about this. This worry about next week, next month, this thing, that thing that could happen. I'm outsourcing it. God, that's your business, not my department. I, I think there's something incredibly healthy about that. I know there is actually, but it's like, it's, it's interesting that that little vignette was in this book that's not a Christian book or anything, but it's just, you kind of swerved into something that's actually a brilliant way to handle worry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that idea really struck me. I mean, uh, uh, the idea of outsourcing is, you know, kind of caused my eyes to roll at first because, you know, we've been hearing outsourcing for, you know, 34 years in the business world. And then when you (laughs) applied it to, to, you know, outsourcing your worry, I was like, well, okay, that's just gimmicky, but it's, but it's, (laughs) it's, it's, I mean, forgive me, Brad, but I did think that at first. No, it's great. But but it's not. I mean, it is. It is explicit biblical command. Right. We're supposed to cast our you worries, cast our burdens on Jesus, and because He cares for us. I mean, that that's that's key. Like, He is for us, and He has the power to do stuff. So why wouldn't I? I think about. I'm I'm better at prayer now than I was before the lockdown stuff, partially because of all the Zoom meetings. Like you have Zoom with this person, Zoom with that person. Zoom. I'm like, why would I miss my Zoom meeting with God? And I know that's that sounds gimmicky too. I didn't put it in the book, but it's like, this is the most important meeting. He can actually do something about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why would I not want to do that? It's so healthy. And then the other brilliant, you know, scriptural stuff that, that we're told is like, when you have worries, you approach God with thanksgiving tell him what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then the peace of God will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Like that's where the peace comes is I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to tell him what I'm worried about. Bam. 
there's there's peace. And I've, I've found that to absolutely be true. Uh, Brand, let's just stipulate for the record that in the short amount of time we've got together, we're not going to be able to cover your entire book. But um, and, and I've got some things I want to talk about that are maybe not quite in the book, uh, but just because I, cool. you know, whatever, I uh, love chatting with you. You're just, you know, love your the way your brain thinks and, and that sort of thing. So but but let me stick to the book for a couple of more quick questions. One is um, you quoted, I believe it was Thornton Wilder, a short play that uh, he uh, wrote and um, and I'm not going to do the entire quote here, but 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 the the sort of the money part of that quote is this: in love's service, only the wounded can serve, and that uh, hit me really hard, especially in this context of of you know a, a, the broader discussion of joy, because I think one of the things that robs us of our joy. Is that I'm not is the notion that I'm not worthy, that God can't use me, that God doesn't love me, that um, that I've been too wounded, I can't recover, I cannot be useful to God anymore, and that quote brought me face to face once again with the fact that God only uses the wounded, right? He only does, and I love that He is looking for partners. Like I hadn't thought about it that way until fairly recently. Somebody pointed it out. Like even with Abraham, he's looking for somebody to partner with in the world. And Abraham is a mess in some ways, but he's also, he has this radically hospitable heart and God's like, okay, I'm going to work with that guy. But you're right. All the characters through the Bible that God wants to partner with broken, wounded, he could have chosen Moses when he was in his prime, but he doesn't. He waits till he's broken. You know, he's been, he's 80 years old when he chooses Moses to do what he did. We can't handle that. In the movies, we cannot handle an elderly Moses. They will not do it because we can't handle somebody who's broken and old and being a hero. We can all, we have this idea. So that said, how wonderful is it that if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I'm still kind of a moral mess. I'm still, I got my problems and my addictions, my, right, right. But he's still looking for partners and he wants to partner with you. And if you keep showing up and talking, that's what prayer is, is talking about what you and God are doing together in life. And, um, and not, beca- not because he needs us, really, but because no, he, he need loves it. us, right? Because he loves yeah, us. Yeah, he loves us. He doesn't need us. That's the other thing, too, I, I wrote about is God on an ego trip, because people will ask, like, why does he need to be praised all the time? Like, what, what's up with praise me? Pray-? He doesn't need that. That's for us. It turns out that when we sing songs about God's goodness and remind ourselves that he's powerful and loves us and is on our side, it relaxes us. It gives us peace. Everything he tells us to do is for our own good. Like, he's not needing you to sing. He wants you to so that you can enjoy this life of peace. Remind yourself of his goodness. One of the things I love about your book, Brand, is the, all the anecdotes and stories. You talk a lot about the adventures that you've had with Cure um, all over the world. And, uh, you know, Cure is a great organization that, um, you know, has hospitals and, and you know, is in, in the business of healing uh, all over. And you're a spokesperson for them, a storyteller for them, shall I say. And I love those stories in the book. But w- one of the stories that you told, though, and that, that I think maybe in, incarnates or embodies some of the ideas that we've talked about is the story of Joey. I found that story to be particularly moving. Would you, would you tell our listeners who Joey is and why you wanted to put that story in this book? 
Yeah, he's a neighbor, and I'm using a pseudonym, and a very outgoing guy, has some special needs from a brain injury, young guy, single, had dip, very difficult walking, and he's a walker, but he'd go around the neighborhood, he's very extroverted. And um, I would get together with him, I found out he loved music, I went for a walk with him, and he loves his Rolling Stones and his ZZ Top and stuff. Well, I'm like, you know, I play guitar, I love to sing, come over, let's jam. So we would, and he would belt it out. He loved it. We would do Radiohead and then Pearl Jam and then on and on. And <laughs> it was so, it was so fun. But then he let me know that he's leaving the neighborhood. He lived with his parents and they were going to a, a place far away. And um, my wife and I, I, I'm getting better at throwing parties. That was the whole point. Uh, I took the risk, even though I'm an introverted, plays it close to the vest. Like, you know what? We're going to throw a going, neighborhood going away party for you. And we invited people online and stuff. And um, he came over and nobody came for about a half an hour. We had streamers up and balloons that were saying goodbye. Everybody knew who he was because he was so extroverted. But then a neighbor came over that we had prearranged so we'd have somebody. And she sat around for a little bit. And then some people we didn't know actually showed up. And then more people and more people. And this was a guy who was not a believer at all. Uh, he liked the dark side stuff. And um, it was jammed. The whole, the whole place was jammed and with neighbors saying goodbye to him. And his mom came over, and they didn't know what to do with God or anything. They weren't believers, but they, were, they stayed and helped us clean up. And they're like, later she told me the next day she actually was—, was emotional about it. she said maybe god allowed joey to go through this because he's obviously such a huge blessing to people now and it was all through throwing a party we we throw a lot of parties now and again that's out of our idiom but we're getting as we get older and more mature in our faith the more parties we have and i i think that's i think the joy thing really stands out right now being at peace is something that people are desperate for and they're really drawn to it. Well, without being pedantic about that, I mean, the, 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 to me, the point of that story was twofold. Number one is that heaven's going to be a party. Heaven's going to be filled with great joy. And that, 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 that yeah. is a part of how, you know, thy kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven is for us to enjoy each other in the ways that you were enjoying Joey and Joey was, an, um, you know, a blessing to the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, I think another lesson of that is, is that, you know, as you said, Joey was a really broken guy. And yet um, he ended up being a blessing to the neighborhood and the neighborhood ended up being a blessing to him. And um, that to me was a very powerful lesson in that story as well. Man, there's, a, there's something about a party right now when you're not, when you're not supposed to be at ease, you're not supposed, you're supposed to be angry and anxious. That's what you're supposed to be. So to not be that way, to be the hospitable party thrower is a is a sweet spot, I think, for somebody who's a believer. And I say this again as somebody that's not I'm, that's not naturally my thing, but I I think uh, I think the time is ripe for us to be that for our neighbors because they don't have any source. I have to do an interview later today with a a non Christian station radio station about this topic and. I'm always upfront about where I'm coming from, but I'm also trying to think, hey, what can I say for somebody who doesn't, you know, know, like what resources do they have? 
I don't know how people handle this. If you don't, if you don't believe in the goodness of God, I don't know how people are, you can see why people are falling apart. Where's the resource? Where's the ultimate source for any sort of peace? So, yeah. Well, Brant, you you know what I do for a living, at, you know, here at Ministry Watch, and so yes. I, I, I hope you'll forgive me for pivoting a little bit and 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 thinking about your book in the context of of what I'm doing, and also in the context of what you said at the very beginning that you know why this book, why now, and that is because even Christians don't seem to have very much joy in their lives. That that even you know in many of our churches there is a you know a sense of uh, a, we seem to be feeding that sense of. Uh, Agree, being aggrieved, yes, of, right. of outrage, and and you know, I look uh, partly because of the work that I do. You know, I'm I I look at a lot of Christian ministries and their fundraising efforts, and you know what their message in, message is. And the one thing that I've been able to kind of determine is catastrophe. You know, the old saying on Madison Avenue is "sex sells," but I think in the Christian world, it's catastrophe cells that, um, you know, if you can convince people that the world is going to hell on a bobsled and that the only way to prevent that from happening is to give money to me, if you can figure out how to do that, you know, (laughs) with sincerity or by faking sincerity, (laughs) you're going to get rich. And it just seems to me that that's something that is fundamentally wrong with our culture. When, when, When our Christian ministries are sort of these conflict entrepreneurs rather than purveyors of love, joy, and peace. I mean, that's not good, is it? No. Well, there's a couple of things that strike me about that. Number one, if I'm going to be at peace, I cannot be consuming all of this stuff all the time. Now, this is not about your website, which I, I love because you're not coming at it with anger and anxiety. Actually, you're coming at it. it, the, The tone of what ministry watch does comes from a stronger hand than that. And I appreciate that. No, well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. It's not gr- there's not a grinding tone. There might be a grieving tone. Not a grinding one. And I really like that rather than just banging away at people. Uh but the other thing is if I'm going to be at peace, I can't be watching news all the time. What I pay attention to determines who I'm going to be tomorrow. God is very concerned about who we're becoming. I'm convinced of that. Well, who I'm becoming is based on what I pay attention to. So it's like Jesus is at the Last Supper and he's saying, hey, here's what I'm going to give to you, my followers, until I come back. Like, I'm leaving a gift with you. It's my peace. That's my gift I'm giving you. It's like we're answering that like, yeah, that's a cool gift, but you know what? I'd rather have Fox News 24-7. I'd rather have CNN and MSNBC. I'd rather be worked into a tizzy. I'd rather, like, no. No, you have to take your thoughts captive because what you're paying attention to is shaping what's coming out here. That, that's just so important. So, so while those things drive clicks and drive interest and drive podcasts and drive, we love a good, we love a good failure story. Um, that's not the spiritually healthy thing for me if I want to be at peace. I can't turn around and consume that stuff 24-7 and then blame God that I'm anxious. Like, that's just silly. The other thing I wanted to say, if you don't mind, I'm sorry I'm ramping too long on this. No, no, go. So a lot of that stuff, and I lived through this growing up, major religious hypocrisy that I had to deal with, the trauma of being a, a preacher's kid and going through this stuff that would have wound up in your 
you know, if there were websites like Ministry Watch, would have wound up in that. Had to deal with it. Went through the divorces, went through all the stuff growing up. Um, when I hear people deconstruct because of hypocrisy, I'm like, darn it. Don't let hypocrites chase you away from the best relationship you can possibly have in life. That's a terrible idea. Why are you giving these people, if you're, if you're going to scroll through, like, look at that pastor did this and that woman did that. And that guy, okay, that's terrible, right? You're going to lose your faith because of that. You don't want to talk to God. You don't want to, he's looking for partners. You don't love his kingdom. Have you seen what his kingdom is like? That's why I include all those stories about cures. I'm like, you're going to walk away from that? Kids getting up and being able to dance and play for the first time because of Jesus? You're like, nah, because that pastor was a big fraud. Really? See, I'm not walking away from it because it's too beautiful. I went through all that garbage and I've seen it a million times up close. And like, but I'm not walking away from my time I get to spend with God and my source of peace. No way. And especially when people deconstruct and when they deconstruct, they, they write these theses or they write, you know, some sort of a manifesto that never mentions Jesus when they're leaving. Like I'm losing, I'm losing my faith because of this and that and the stance on this from the church. Like, yeah, but why were you a believer in the first place? Was it politics? Like what, where's Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? That's, I, I find it very telling when people don't talk about him and instead use this litany of stories of other people's hypocrisy or whatever, whatever they had to deal with. Like, yeah, okay, but what about Jesus? So I don't know, maybe, I, sorry, again, I'm rolling out too far, but but that it made me think about that because of what you do. And it's so important. And I can read it without losing my faith because my faith isn't in these institutions and these people. Amen. Well, that's a good word uh, and, a, and a good word for us to close on, Brand. And I do want to maybe bring our conversation to close, but there is one more item, though, that I've got to cover with you. And that is you mentioned um, that if uh, someone read your acknowledgments that you were going to give them either a Coles gift card <laughs> or a guitar pick. And I just want to be clear that like like you, uh, yeah, I play, man. I, I'm a guitar player and, you know, a, 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 a fella can always use a new pick. So next time I see you, I don't know if you're going to be at NRB, but if you do, you better have a pick in your pocket because I'm going to ask you to pay up. I will. I always have a pick in my pocket. And do you want a light, medium, heavy gauge? Uh, I'm more I'm more of a light guy. This is a, this is a nylon, one of those turtle, orange turtle picks. It's, I got uh, you. I got of, those. Yeah. Yeah. You, get, you, you, sir, have a guitar pick coming your way. Thank you for reading the acknowledgments. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and thank you, Brand, for being on the program today. It's always a pleasure to read your books. They're 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 um they're both deep and funny at the same time. And um and I I um I really appreciate about the, that about the way you write and the way you communicate and um and so yeah and thanks for thanks for taking the time with me today. My pleasure, man. God bless you. Thanks for joining me on today's Ministry Watch Extra podcast. We've had Brant Hansen on the program. Life is hard. God is good. Let's dance. Experiencing real joy in a world gone mad. You know, I read everything that Brant Hansen writes. He's got four or five books. I've had him on the program a couple of times before. 
And uh, I kind of I find him to be a good antidote in some ways, a palate cleanser for some of the stories that we have to write uh, here at Ministry Watch. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I also wanted to mention to you that uh, we're going to drop this episode on the last couple of days of January, but beginning on February 1st, uh, we're going to be offering a new book as a donor premium. Uh, which is, and the book is by Teresa Sidebotham. It's called Handling Allegations in a Ministry. I have found this book to be enormously helpful. We offered this book as a donor premium about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, and it was really popular. But we've got a lot of new folks uh, on our email list now and listening to the podcast, so we thought we would offer it again. It's called Handling Allegations in a Christian Ministry by Teresa Sidebotham. You can get a copy of this book by making a donation of any size to uh, Ministry Watch during the month of February. So if you're listening to this on the last day or two of January, we'd love to have your gift at any time, but <laughs> wait till February 1st uh, so you can get a copy of the book. Well, until next time, uh, my name is Warren Smith. I'm the host of the Ministry Watch podcast and the president of Ministry Watch. We get uh, database technical and other support from Christina Darnell, Casey Suddeth, uh, Kim Roberts, and uh, Stephen DeBerry. The producers for today's program are Rich Russell and Jeff McIntosh. Until next time, may God bless you.